Do you want to know what it takes to work as a high-performing executive assistant? You'll find out when you listen to the EA Campus podcast. Join me, Nikki Christmas, the founder of Practically Perfect PA and the EA Campus, for a weekly interview with successful assistants who all have first-hand experience and lessons to share on what it takes to excel in the role. Tune in, get inspired, and learn how to create an assistant career where you are valued, motivated, and ready to face every challenge head on. Whether you are an assistant just starting in your career or prepared to move to the next level, building a successful assistant career just got a little easier with the EA Campus podcast. This week, we have Fiona Hurst, Executive Assistant to the Chief Legal Officer at S3. Prior to her current role, Fiona worked at Airbnb in their Paris office. It was truly a roller coaster ride, and we spent a lot of time in this episode talking about her experiences working at a unicorn startup right at the beginning of its rise. I really enjoyed listening to Fiona and hearing all about her time at Airbnb, and I hope that you enjoy it too. Hi, Fiona, welcome. Hi, Nikki. Thanks so much for the invitation. Oh, it's a pleasure. We've got a good, just around about an hour to to cover everything that you've done in your assistant career. And I know that you've worked for some really interesting brands and experienced quite a lot along the way. So why don't we start with you sharing a little bit about your career to date? Sure. So I think like a lot of assistants that I meet and know, I never intended to be an assistant. I didn't know what it was. And I actually did a French degree. So Absolutely nothing related to being an assistant, or so I thought. And I, during my final year at university, got the opportunity to move out after I'd graduated to France and I was teaching English at university. And that contract came to an end and I was like, what am I going to do? And I ended up moving to Paris and I was working in the kind of a customer service, customer relations for a few months. And I just, it was not me. I didn't enjoy it at all. And when I was thinking, oh, what can I do? I found a agency that specialised in recruiting bilingual English-French assistants, office managers, etc. And I got in touch with them. And that's where I got my first kind of PA slash admin slash office manager role for a company called Cantor Fitzgerald, so in finance world. And I was the only person, only admin person in the office And anyone who's had a role like that knows what that means. You do everything. You wear like 10 million hats and you get to get involved in so many different projects from facilities to payroll, HR, you're working reception. So you learn how to multitask. And this was a an office that had no filing. The filing system when I walked in was literally like five piles of paper. That was the filing system. So I I kind of built everything from scratch. And it really was like my training ground as an assistant, because as I say, I got to touch on so many different things. And I was young, I was 23, 24. And I was negotiating contracts and managing office moves and all sorts of things. And I thought, gosh, this is like quite impressive in French, by the way, because I was working in Paris. I was, it definitely was a learning curve. It was not easy. The environment was not easy. If anyone who's worked on a trading floor will tell you, it's very masculine. It can be quite aggressive. Um, so you have to, 
you learn a lot, let's put it that way. Um, unfortunately, it was 2008, 2009, financial crisis, and I was made redundant from that role. Moved back to the UK. At that point, I'd been in France, I think, four years, three, four years at that time. Moved back to the UK, decided to go travelling, and then moved back to the UK and got my first role in London, working at Barclays. So I was PA to in the European retail banking team, and that was a French boss and a French team that was working with. And so obviously my language skills were very much valued there. So worked there, and then I transferred to the UK retail banking team. So I was working on the with the executives there. And at that point, I was like, it's a huge organisation, and I felt a little bit like a cog in a wheel. I felt it was this is your role, and there isn't much scope to move out of that and do other things. And I left there, went to work for Baker and McKenzie, a law firm, again with a French team. My language skills obviously really helping me. I remember actually at the time I was working with recruitment agencies and they said to me, you're kind of like gold dust in London because you are English, but you have fluent French skills. And Often, you know, that there'd be French assistants, native French assistants, but then their English skills weren't up to native standard. And, and what they wanted was someone native English with the French. And I was like, oh, gosh, it made me feel quite special, actually. And I never thought that having done a French degree, that would be what was valued the most. So it was quite interesting. So, yeah, I went to the law firm and it just wasn't me. It wasn't me. And I think sometimes we do... And I've made a couple of them in my career. Make a move and you almost instantly know that it's not the right one. And, and so I've, I very quickly thought, you know, this isn't going to work out. What can I do? And at that point, I decided, I think I just, yeah, I just turned 30. And I was having a bit of a, like, what am I doing with my life kind of moment. And I actually decided to move back to Paris. And at that point, I, so I resigned. And then literally, I think two weeks later, I had a call from one of the assistants in the Paris office and she was like oh I hear you're leaving do you need a job in Paris and I was like yeah <laughs> she was like we've got one here so I ended up staying with the company and moving to the Paris office and working in a completely different apartment department which was completely fascinating I was working I moved into working in litigation and it's really interesting and I was working for the partner and yeah it was much more it stretched me a lot more than the role in London had and but it still wasn't what I was looking for and I wanted more I wanted to be able to do more I wanted to I didn't feel I was being utilized to the best of my abilities and I was looking around and had posted my CV on a couple of sites and I got a phone call I got several phone calls from recruitment agencies and they were saying oh, we've got this role. And I was listening to the roles and I was like, no, it's exactly what I'm doing now. It's not what I want. I want more. And then one day I got this email, well, a call, a missed call and then an email from this agency who were recruiting for a company called Airbnb. And this was 2014. And I had only heard of Airbnb a few months earlier for the first time because a colleague had mentioned it to me. And I opened up the job description and I was just like, wow, like this is like what I want to be doing. And then I looked at the company website and I was like, okay, this is definitely where I want to be. It was so exciting. Obviously, Airbnb 2014, 
no one had really heard of it. Like it was such a thing. And I went to the interview. I think I had six interviews for Airbnb with various different people. Yeah, they had a very, and they still do have a very robust interview process. With each interview, I just was like, I want this job even more. And then I think I was waiting for a reply and it was a bank holiday weekend in France. And I was just like, I, I had a friend visiting and I was like, so I was so anxious about this job. I was like, I really want this job. And then I went back to work on the Tuesday and I had a phone call on the Tuesday to offer me the job. And I was just over the moon because I could tell that this was the company that I'd kind of been dreaming of, that the one that actually existed. And I started a few weeks later. But in the meantime, I had a phone call from my new boss and he was like, Fiona, would you mind ever so much if you did your onboarding in San Francisco? And I was there, not at all. No, that would be amazing. So I actually flew to San Francisco, which was unusual at the time, but I flew to San Francisco for my onboarding. And I just remember pinching myself thinking, wow, this is incredible. The offices were incredible, are incredible. And I had a whole week of onboarding, meeting every single department in the company finding out what they did, the history of the company. And it was just, I just, it was so inspiring. And everyone was so on board with the company, the mission, what they were doing. You, you couldn't help but be inspired and be energized by it. And it was just brilliant. Yeah. And yeah, and, and I worked for, there I was working for two execs. So I worked for the uh, managing director for EMEA and the general counsel from both based in the Paris office and their teams, obviously, who were spread across across EMEA. And I stayed in that role for about six years. In that time, my bosses changed. People come and go as they do. I moved back to London and I ended up supporting the general counsel on a one-to-one role and her team. And the role evolved and it grew. As you would expect with a startup, things start small and then it ended up being huge or they did at Airbnb anyway. It was insane. What can I say? <laughs> Life at Airbnb was insane, especially the first kind of two years, 2014, 2016. I have never worked so hard in my life. Long hours, traveling. Traveling was amazing. We got to travel, got to work with the smartest people, really bright, intelligent people, but all focused on this one goal, making things better for our hosts and our community and our, and our travelers. It was really inspiring. I think... I learned more at Airbnb than probably the rest of my career put together. It was just incredible. I, I can't. And then, yes, I realise I'm looking back a little bit with rose-tinted glasses because it was very tough. Every six months, there'd be a new structure. There'd be a new set of goals. There'd be Brian, the CEO, Brian Chesky, the CEO, used to say, if, you've, if you're still here in six months' time, you've had a promotion because the company isn't the same as it was six months ago. It was very intense, but fun really fun it was a really young workforce most people were in the kind of 20 to 30 bracket I think I joined I was kind of mid 30s I was probably one of the one of of the older yeah just in my early 30s I was probably one of the older ones at the time but it was so much energy and enthusiasm I'd never experienced that before in any company I've worked in it was really inspiring yeah so I ended up doing I ended up transferring into a bit of a HR role actually at Airbnb and and then I left at the end of last year it was time I had been with the company through such that huge period of growth it was so intense 
completely exhausting. Gone through the pandemic there, returned from maternity leave, gone through the pandemic there. Like we lost 80% of our business in eight weeks, I think. And then that was obviously in the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020. And by December 2020, we were doing one of the most successful IPOs ever. So that year was like just completely intense, ridiculous. I've never experienced anything like it and probably never will again. But yeah, after that, I did a, I moved into covering a maternity role in the HR team because I'd had the opportunity to work on the collective consultation for redundancies during COVID and had really enjoyed that, even though it was obviously a really difficult time. I'd loved the work and it ended up, as I say, moving into covering a role in the HR team and then for a maternity leave and then she came back and the role was no more and I decided that my EA role had taken it everywhere I wanted to and felt I could at Airbnb and also I just wanted a rest (laughs) honestly quite honestly after everything that had happened so I just I took six months out and it was brilliant I, I highly if you can if you're privileged enough to be able to do it taking some time out when you've had one of those like high intensity roles is a great thing to do it just kind of resets everything so yeah so in April May time I started looking for a new role and I think I was considering lots of different things and going in a different direction but ultimately I realized I really missed the EA role I missed that relationship that you have with your exec being the center of everything and the one that's kind of holding everything together and it was really important for me to work for someone who was a mum, as a kind of relatively newish mum myself, or a parent who understood that balance that you need to have. And and I actually, someone from S3 reached out to me on LinkedIn and asked me if I was looking for a role. And I think I had two interviews for this role. The second one was with Kate, my, my boss now. And I just knew instantly that I would we would work well together and the rest of they say is history so I've been at S3 for six months now just past my probation and I'm supporting Kate who is the chief legal officer and company secretary and her team so S3 is a PLC so it's a whole different kind of ball game for me I've never worked at exec level or c-suite level in a PLC before so it's I'm learning but obviously everything I did at, at Airbnb and everywhere else that I've worked has prepared me for this I think what an absolute <laughs> roller coaster <laughs> it was gripped to my seat there oh my goodness you've done so much yes there is so much to unpack there and I've been writing down a bunch of questions while you've been talking but I just want to get a sense of what S3 is like. Could you just tell us what the company does so that we can kind of get a sense of what that your work would entail? Absolutely. So S3 is a specialist STEM recruiter. So recruiting for uh, science, technology, engineering and mathematics sectors. And in a sense, S3 is a global company headquartered in London. And in a sense, the kind of sales, the recruitment side of it is... I don't really have much to do with that on a day-to-day basis. So I'm in kind of the what we call the core function side. So in the legal and COSEC risk team. And I work really closely with the assistants to the CFO and the CEO. And this has been a revelation to me, Nikki, because I've never worked so closely with a group of assistants before. I've always had more standalone roles, whether that be entirely on my own in a company or in a region or whatever. And moving into this role, it's just been amazing. The two the two other assistants that I work with 
so close to you on a day-to-day basis we're constantly messaging each other calling each other it's honestly it's like a breath of fresh air <laughs> I feel like someone's got my back I feel so supported and we work so well together like completely on the same wavelength about how things should be done and yet we each have our own strengths and they're really complementary so we're able to work really well as a three and divide things up so that everyone kind of works on the thing that's their strength which is amazing I love it <laughs> I love it I really do it's so interesting um, we're speaking to so many assistants at the moment who are working in groups of assistants or pods have that ability to work really closely with other the other C-suite executives assistants yeah. And everyone is really positive about it. I haven't heard anybody say it's really difficult or there's some tension or anything like that. Everybody that I've spoken to has said this is such a great way to work. It is. Honestly, I, as I say, I've never had this experience before. And I was a bit wary. I was like, oh, how's this going to work? But it just does. It is just, we all, as I say, we just all think about how to do things. We seem to agree on it on how to do things or how things should be there's s3 is going up through a period of quite a lot of transformation and so we have the privilege i suppose and maybe the pressure to be able to set how things should run and so that's kind of what we've been working on certainly i've been working on the last few months uh, kind of forward planning and like setting the agenda for the next couple of years about when we're going to do things basically and it's I feel, as I say, I feel really supported. I know that they've got my back. I've got their back. If someone needs help with something, someone's there, like, or for advice, or obviously like, me being the newbie, like, how, who's, who do I go to? Who do I go to get this done? Or whatever it might be. I, as I say, I've never had that before. I've always had to figure things out for myself. And so it's just lovely knowing someone's there, someone knows the answer, or will know someone who knows the answer. And uh, yeah, I, couldn't, I can't praise them enough. They're just wonderful people. Oh, that's lovely to hear. So as I said, when you were talking about your career today, there was a ton of stuff I want to ask you, but I just want to, before we go take a step back, I just want to get a kind of general sense of what your, or the main aspects of your role are at S3. So I know you're still fairly new to it, having just passed probation, but have you got a sense of what the aspects of the role will entail? Yeah, as I say, I support the Chief Legal Officer and Company Secretary. I, as with most execs these days, the calendar, it's a constant game of Tetris, isn't it? And you wish there were 30 hours in the day. There's a lot of calendar. Fitting things in, moving things. Kate, I think in the last, since I've been there, Kate's been on several kind of long overseas trips, Japan, Singapore, South Africa, and then some European ones as well. Travel expenses, the usual stuff, but then there's all the agenda planning for the team meetings. And I'm taken on the culture side of out for our team. So thinking of ways of improving the culture in the team, I'm developing a SharePoint site, which is something the team have been asking for a while, which is if anyone has ever done it, like hats off to you. It's a lot of work. And <laughs> just generally keeping the team up to date with the actions and what's going on. And the list is endless, really, isn't it? But they're probably the main things. I used to work for a company secretary and uh, along with a couple of other executives. And, and he was actually one of the busiest people that I supported, he they they get drawn into so much of the business, so many meetings that they have to attend, and so much around the corporate governance and everything that comes with that. It's a really, it's a really di- sort of challenging role, and then to support that across the whole business, it, it ties you up a lot, probably more than yeah. you were. Or for me, I was expecting. I thought he would be the easier one of the three that I was <laughs> supporting, and he wasn't. Yeah. He was the trickiest. <laughs> 
yeah, we're very lucky. We have a deputy COSEC and a COSEC team and they like are brilliant and they take up most of it off Kate's plate. So she was oversee it and obviously get involved in things, but the COSEC team beneath her are really strong. And but yes, they get involved in everything, all sorts of things, share plans and all, which we've just launched, but you know, all sorts of things that you can't even imagine. But then there's, there's the board to manage as well. I'm in contact with the board quite often, our non-executive directors and our chairman organising meetings, or we just had a new non-executive director start. So um, helping with her on board and making sure she's meeting the right people and things like that so yeah it's very varied which I love and yes you do get to see a lot of things that you're privileged to a lot of information obviously (laughs) and that's that's a privilege but also sometimes a hindrance so you you have to be very careful I think as assistants we know that we're seeing confidential information all the time but I think the kind of chief legal officer or general counsel, whatever it might be called in your company, is a very lonely role because you often have information you can't share with your direct reports for obvious reasons, but also you can't share it with your peers. You might not be able to share it with the CEO or the CFO. And so you and so my role in that, because I have access to the same information, obviously, through emails, I have a very privileged position I think as a kind of sounding board because they that they know they can't share this information with other people and so you become that privileged person that they can talk to so yeah I think recognizing that and also being in that situation you have to be very careful about your relationships within the business and even with other assistants I trust the two my two colleagues like completely but I know there's certain things that I can't tell them either. And so it can be a bit lonely in the assistant role sometimes as well. And you do have to be careful. You can't, especially when I think back to my role at Airbnb, it was a very kind of many people had became friends, basically, and had relationships outside of the office. And I just couldn't. I had to have that kind of barrier. And I think people don't sometimes understand that very well. But it's obviously yeah. essential confidentiality. Yeah, it's so true. It's it's a real skill, actually, to be able to be personable and inviting and bridge that gap between the executive team and the rest of the staff, but still maintaining some kind of distance, especially yeah. as it must have been the case, I would assume, at Airbnb, Airbnb. Things are changing so rapidly. And as you said, your executive had said if people are still here in six months so there must have been a high turnover of staff and you're privy to all of that information it is a real school keeping that to yeah, and not absolutely. sharing it especially when it's information that everybody would want to know <laughs> it must yeah. be tough I had to be I had to be very careful at social events not to drink too much because people were always trying to get information out and so I had to kind of <laughs> I had to be very careful and I think sometimes that meant that people thought you were a bit a bit boring a bit of a stick in the mud kind of thing but you're always on the clock and you're always on the clock so you have to be it's professional it's being professional isn't it yeah yeah I remember one time I was working at a place and they we were just in the process of refitting the office and moving all the desks and everything around and there was definitely a hierarchy there of whoever sat sat closest to the executive was considered to be a bit more important and I went for a drink after work and discovered the next day that somebody had rummaged through my drawers to try and find oh. the office plans. And I remember oh. thinking, oh, my goodness, if people are doing this with office plans, 
<laughs> what other information did they want? So that really taught me a lesson very early on yeah. in my career. Don't That's advertise you're going for a drink after work. <laughs> I'll lock your drawers. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, they, people don't give the assistants a break. Do they? They don't think, no. I just won't ask. They absolutely will ask. So, as I said, there was so much that I wanted to touch on. And I'm going to pull back, first of all, to some of your Airbnb days, because normally I ask what an average day looks like in, in your current role. And I think you've already given us a good sense of what that is. So I, I wonder if you could go cast your mind back to what an average day must have been like for you at Airbnb, because from what you said, it, it Starting at such an early point in their journey, the journey of the business, seven years on through the pandemic, it, as I said, it sounds like a real roller coaster. So just to give a sense of what an average day looked like when you were at Airbnb, that would be super interesting. Yeah, I when I joined, I think there were just over a thousand employees globally. So it was small. By the time I left, so six, seven years later, there were, I think before, I would say before COVID, I think they were up to six, 7,000. So within the space of five years, they'd gone from about 1,000 to six, 7,000. The hiring, that, to, to give you an idea of the scale, I think they used to say, and it, this figure has probably gone up in the years since, but when I first started, or in those early years, they used to say they had 400 applicants for every one role. Wow. Yeah. So it was just this rocket ship. And I and I don't mean that. It was insane. I think Brian Chesky, and I don't remember who he was quoting, but he used to say that it was like jumping off a cliff and building the plane as you were like falling off it. That's honestly what it felt like sometimes. There were no processes. I'm talking about the early days. Obviously now, like it's completely different. It's completely transformed. But the early days, there were no processes. It was, who do you know? <laughs> And they'll have the information. There was no, there was no, as such, there was no place to find information. I turned up, they were working on Macs and working with Google Suite. And I hadn't got a clue. I was like, I've never used a Mac before. What's this Google Suite? Where's the Outlook? What's going on? It was just like, but everyone was just so enthusiastic and you just got carried away. But an average day was calendar calendar everywhere calendar but it wasn't just oh I'll set up a meeting and that'll be fine no it was set up a meeting and 10 minutes later the whole plans have changed or you've booked a whole trip and 10 minutes later the whole plans have changed or I need to go tomorrow to so and it was really it was ever-changing and that takes some getting used to when you're when you come from like those kind of more conservative traditional banking law, law you know, especially law yeah everything's so structured and quiet exactly this was not I it was just I, just to give you a sense of what it how different it was when I went for my I think it was when I went for my interview it was July it was very hot I went to the office and the office manager opened the door and she was wearing shorts and flip-flops. And I was there in my whole, like, rock and heels coming from a law firm. And I was like, gosh, this is a bit different, isn't it? I loved it. I was like, yes, you can actually be yourself here. I think you can – it's definitely one of those kind of cliche expressions, but you can bring your whole self to work. And it definitely was like that. But, yeah, no, the days were just – couldn't really plan your day. I was travelling – in the early days, at least twice a month, doing business trips, doing off-site. It was, it, honestly, I can't even begin to explain the chaos that it was, because it was. 
And you have to find some way of making making order out of that chaos. And I love doing that. But when there's no structure around it, when the company has no structure and and you're trying to implement change, it was quite hard. And it taught me a lot. It taught me not to be so rigid. I learned to roll with the punches and be like, oh, okay, (laughs) never mind. And we'll just, it took a lot to get there. um, I I have to ask, what skills were you drawing on when there's just, I think the first thing to probably say is you couldn't take anything personally. If you'd put together the most perfect itinerary and it got dropped, it's not nothing to do with you. But I just, wonder what skills you were drawing on just to I don't know keep up with it all yeah it was it was I'm not gonna lie it was tough and I got very sick I got I got tangent fever and I was very sick because it was just insane it was an intense and there was and it wasn't just during the day there would be meetups with hosts in the evening that you would go to and you'd be talking to Airbnb hosts or guests and so it was kind of a 24-7 job that, that, that's how it felt with a headquarters in San Francisco. So you're dealing with West Coast. They, they're waking up in your sort of four o'clock onwards, 4 p.m. onwards. It did very much feel like it, you were constantly on. You had to be resilient. I had to be resilient to a point, obviously. And then I got sick and had forced myself to rest. But honestly, Nikki, I, it was just a case of battling through. And that sounds ridiculous. And you just think, gosh, why didn't you? You just... I, you were so swept up with the enthusiasm and the mission and gosh isn't this exciting and I was single I was like yeah let's go for it and I was up for the challenge I really I'd wanted something more and this was it and so I wasn't going to let that opportunity slip me by but yeah you you know my colleague I had the most amazing colleagues and they were just that it kept you going (laughs) honestly if you're working for never worked for someone horrible at I never heard anyone shout it was just yeah, it just, you got carried away with it. And, you know, the American expression, drinking the Kool-Aid, where, you know, and it kind of was a bit like that, but it, it was just brilliant. And you felt, I remember our first, one of our first ad campaigns in the Paris Metro, and, like, you were like, I was like, wow, this is so exciting. And you put your whole self into your job. And so it felt even more rewarding. But, yeah, it was completely all-consuming and... Certainly now as a mum, there is no way I could do that job. Absolutely not. Like, it's, it just took over my life. I, I couldn't do it now. But at the time, it was brilliant. It's an incredible story. And I think exactly as you said, drinking the Kool-Aid, these opportunities are so rare for so many reasons. A story like Airbnb being the unicorn that it was, it went on to be one of the most well-known brands in the world. It's these roles... I think for anybody, a few and far between. For assistants, they are really few and far between, especially, as you said, when you're bringing your whole self to work. It's almost, I remember somebody, uh, an assistant I spoke to who, who was who worked at Salesforce in the early days, and it was, you literally hold on for dear life and you just go with it. I think it must have been very similar for you. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And I just, I, as I said, I've never worked so hard. But I love, I did love it. And I felt, really felt like I was making a difference and that's probably what kept me going really I think if you're working hard and don't see anything you don't see the fruits of it that's when you get burnout and you're like but I was making a difference I was helping people I felt I was helping people and I worked with the loveliest people and they I was very lucky I was extremely lucky at Airbnb not only for the opportunity but for the managers I had they pushed me and believed in me sometimes when I didn't even believe in myself and they 
let me work on projects that were completely outside my EA remit and encouraged that even actively encouraged it and as well as feeling I was helping people and I was doing good work I was learning constantly learning new skills and learning new things and working with different people and uh, teams ultimately that culminated in me working in the HR role and I would never have had that experience if it hadn't have been for those managers and I am truly grateful to them and still in touch with them now helping them recruit their new assistants for example and things like that they're really strong relationships that were formed because it was just insane (laughs) it really was yeah you've almost formed yeah as you said you're forming a relationship because it's such a shared experience that nobody else is gonna have I wonder if you can give some advice to assistants who are listening that are really inspired hearing that you talk about your experience at Airbnb for really any assistants that want to work at a startup, if there's any advice you could offer. I think you have to know what you're getting yourself into, first of all. This is not going to be easy. If you are not prepared to kind of, and I'm not saying this is all startups, but my experience and my knowledge of other startups, if you're not prepared to go above and beyond on a daily basis in terms of effort the amount of time you spend at work or thinking about work this is not going to be for you you have to be able to dedicate yourself to it and be flexible as I say as a mum I could not do that job now I wouldn't choose to do it because I know what it takes you have to be resilient if you don't like change don't go to a startup because they are constantly changing as I say I'd have had whole I'd have sit down with my exec in the morning and gone through things and we'd have planned everything out. And then literally 10 minutes later, they would message me going, yeah, no, scrap all that. I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll start again. Um, so, you know, you have to be resilient. You have to be open to change, but you have to be willing and able also to see where you can make improvements. I think that's, where can you help? Where can you streamline a process or create a process, even if there isn't one? How can you create resources that will help other people? How can you? So this is one of my favorite things. When people, especially at a startup, if you're the only admin, people will come to you all the time and ask you to do things for them. And one of the things that Airbnb taught me or the legal team taught me was we don't say no, we say yes, but... So rather than saying, no, you can't do that, it's against the law or whatever, we'll say, yes, you can do it, but you've got to do this and this. So I use that in my kind of assistant role and go, yes, I will help you, but it'll be next week or it'll be tomorrow or I'm not going to get to it today. Yes, I will. And also educating people. So if someone comes to you and says, oh, I don't know how to do this or can you help me? So I tell you what. I'll show you how to do it so that next time and at taking that time to train people and educate people will save you time in the long run completely. Yeah, that's such good advice. I love that. Yes, but with a with a but. <laughs> yeah. yes. I love that. I must t- touch on the fact that this would have all been happening in your in French, I'm assuming. I might be wrong in the Airbnb was in, in English in the office, but I'm assuming it's all in French. So you're doing this all in a language that's not your native language, which is even more impressive. So again, <laughs> I just want to touch I, I just want to touch on that because having struggling with Spanish for the amount of years that I have, I know that it's how <laughs> hard it is to learn another language. So I just wonder what that experience is like, because I think it's a hundred percent true what you said earlier that it's gold dust particularly in the London market 
for somebody to speak affluent and have native English. So could you touch on that and just and just tell us a little bit about what that was like for you? Yeah. So Airbnb was slightly different. I was the only non-native French speaker in the office. So the office language was French. However, all business was conducted in English. And my execs, I had two execs, one of whom was Irish. So we obviously spoke in English. The other was French, but his English was just so amazing that we actually spoke in English most of the time. And we spoke in French Obviously, if we were with everyone else, we would speak in French. Or if we didn't want anyone to know what we were talking about, if we were with English-speaking people, uh, we might sometimes. But you do have to be careful because you never know who can speak another language. No, I think that's absolutely... You should be allowed to do that on every occasion. You've learned another language. You should be allowed to have it as a secret language. But yes, the kind of the business language was English, so so that was fine. But the 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 spoken language in the office was French. But it does. There's a skill to speaking French, conversational French, but slang and kind of work working in French, business French is much easier than talking about oh what did you watch on tv last night or whatever that and you and you miss a lot of the cultural references that people are talking about and that's quite difficult because you're just you miss things you miss things and even though I don't mean to brag but my French is very good there's still things that I just don't understand or I didn't get and having a chit chat having a chit chat in 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 French is not the same as having a gossip in English it's my language is probably quite formal, potentially. But I just don't have those same kind of cultural references, like I said, or the nuances or the slang or whatever it might be. So, yes, I'm able to communicate perfectly well and everything, but you always feel slightly other. You always feel slightly on the outside. And I don't think that will ever go away for me, no matter how much time. And I lived in France nine years, but I don't think it will ever go away it'll always be there so just to reassure you a little bit maybe or however much you study and try you'll never be completely fluent yeah I completely understand that living in a foreign country gives you so many huge benefits and I think I've said this before one of them is that you are ultimately stepping out your side outside your comfort zone every time you leave your front door and it really helps build resilience. It really helps your confidence because you're just putting yourself out there every day. So I think it's incredible that you did that in such a fast paced environment. And on top of the fact that you're an assistant and you, as you, as we were speaking earlier, you feel slightly removed anyway. I think that's real testament to you. Yeah, it's it's difficult. But I remember just as an anecdote, once we were at an offsite, I think it was the year that I moved, so 2017. So I'd been there three years at that point. And one of the, I was talking to one of the guys and he was like, I don't really understand what you do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I didn't quite know what to say to him. And and I thought about it and I was like, MD for France. I was like, can I do a presentation at the team meeting next week? Yeah. What about? I was like, apparently no one knows what I do. So I'd like to, t- I'd like to tell them. And Good so I did this whole, this whole presentation. I had, I remember the first slide was like, photos of assistants from like tv or like films and stuff like and then one of the slides was this is how many emails I receive a day this is how many emails my exec receives a day and how many he sent and I read all of those and the look of horror on their face that I read all of his emails they had no idea 
They had no idea that I read all these emails and they were like, what? So if we send an email to him, it's not private. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) they were horrified. They're absolutely horrified. And um, I was like, wow. And that's actually quite a small part of my role. That's not all I do all day. It's like the most basic part of what I do. And I was like, well, how, if I don't read them, how am I supposed to know what's going on? And you could see, (laughs) see them thinking, I was like, but I think in a startup, going back to your question earlier about working in startup, it is a lot of young people who maybe haven't, maybe this is their first job. And so they don't, they don't know. They don't, haven't got a clue. And so there's a, there is a lot of education that needs to go on, not only obviously about what your job is, but just in general, how to put documents together, like how to use the photocopier. It sounds stupid. It really does. But some, it is sometimes quite basic like that. So. Yeah, because they're recruiting straight out of colleges and universities, aren't they? So yeah, you're they are taking the brightest and the best, but not necessarily with the life skills you might imagine other people in the workplace have. God, goodness me, I just got a flashback to what I was like when I left uni. Yeah, yeah you're going to have to do a lot of educating. Yeah, we all go through it, don't we? But it's those basic things like and there'll be intern coming who are paid or unpaid and they're very young and they've got no experience and so there is sometimes quite a lot of hand-holding hand-holding what's one thing in the assistant role that you're grateful for oh two things actually if I may the first one my language skills we've already touched on that but without them I wouldn't have gone to live in France I wouldn't have worked in France I wouldn't have got the role at Airbnb I certainly wouldn't be where I am today. So having not had a clue (laughs) what I wanted to do, my degree has actually taken me really far. So yeah, my language skills for sure. And then the other one, again, we touched on it, is having had managers who believed in me and pushed me and let me do things that were not strictly within my remit. And they could have quite easily gone, no, Fiona, I don't want you to do that. I want you to concentrate on this. But they let me and it's kind of really opened up my mind and my and I've gained so much experience from it so yeah really grateful for them it's really interesting something you said again right at the beginning of our conversation when you described your experience at Barclays and that you didn't want to be a cog in the machine and I think so many assistants that work in those huge organizations can quite often feel like that I know I did when I worked at Deloitte it felt my work wasn't I don't know what my work was actually doing in the grand scheme of things so just to go back to what you were saying there about working for a startup I think for assistants who feel like that in large organizations going into somewhere like a a startup or a smaller organization even I guess three where you are now you do see the difference that your work is making so again I think that's wonderful advice for assistants that maybe aren't sure what they're doing in a big organization absolutely you have you have much more freedom in a smaller organization yes the workload is going to be different but you have much more freedom and depending on the type of organisation, you're allowed to get in, involved with things that, you know, will push you, will stretch you, which is fa- fabulous for your career. And deciding also what you might want to do later on, if maybe you want to go and be an office manager or whatever it might be. But getting those skills will obviously open up ideas for you. And you mentioned one of the challenges that comes with the assistant role in that there's quite a lot of people in the organisation who are ignorant to what we do and you challenged that but I wondered if there's any other areas of the I guess the stereotype around the assistant assistant role that you've challenged yeah I think pushing the boundaries in terms of 
what is in my remit and what I decide, or along with my exec, is going to be in my remit. I think, as I say, I've been really lucky at Airbnb. I was, we didn't have a an employment lawyer on our team in the legal team, and there was so much HR stuff that was coming up that we just didn't get time to do. And I had an interest in HR and I worked on an initiative in France when I was there. And when I moved to London, I was like, I'd really like to do a more formal qualification. And so Airbnb sponsored me to do my CIPD training. And because of that, I was able then to help with more things on the HR side, take those off my exec's plate. And ultimately then was seconded to the HR team when I came back from maternity leave to help with the collective consultation for redundancies in the UK. So I think you can identify areas like what's missing on your team. What do you need more expertise in? Do you need someone who's like an expert at doing PowerPoint? Is that something you can go and get trained on? I think there's always something that you can, there's always an area where you can add value and it might not seemingly traditionally within the EA but I think you can observe and identify those areas and ask for the training and go. And because you've observed and that there's there's a gap, therefore going to your exec and saying, this is what I've observed. This is what I've chipped. Have a plan and say, this is what I want to do. This is how it will help. You should. Any exec worth their salt will then say, okay, yes, go and do the training. That will really help us. And is there any changes that you'd like to see in the assistant industry going forward? I think there's still a lot of stigma around, a lot of kind of mystery around what we do. Me doing a presentation to that group of people proves that. Divest in the assistant world is terrible. It's really terrible. We're still And did you notice that... Is it, did you notice that at Airbnb as well? Was that because that's a diverse organisation? But within the assistant role, was there diversity there? We had we it was slightly more diverse, but still very female. We did have a couple of men actually, but they quickly moved on into other roles, which I often see happening with men as assistants. They seem to move on into other roles quite quickly, and we stay where we are that's interesting yeah read into that one yeah so I think diversity more diversity and I think but also just kind of making people aware of being an assistant as a career like I know I didn't I had the kind of oh you don't want to be a secretary you don't want to be someone's secretary but the role is so much more than that as we both know and it's also and this is often surprises people, it can also be very lucrative. And I think there's not enough transparency around that. And as a career, how you can progress and how that can work. So yeah, I think obviously the work you're doing, Nikki, is kind of helping to kind of demystify that all a little bit. But I think there's still room for more. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's certainly a work in progress. It'd be nice. Yeah, it'd be nice to not have to ask this question. But I know that We've got a we've got a long way to go, and I think we could all see changes, particularly around diversity in all areas of the role. So I appreciate you mentioning that. There was one other thing I wanted to touch on with your Airbnb story, and that's around dealing with kind of crisis in the role because you were at Airbnb at the start of the pandemic and obviously the pandemic affected us all but the travel industry obviously goes without saying it impacted hugely so I wondered again if you could just give us a kind of an overview of around really around the skills that you again you use to draw on to help your organization at that point 
Yeah, I'll caveat all that by saying I literally had only returned from maternity leave a week after the first lockdown was announced in the UK. So I had a nine-month-old baby and... I mean, that in of, itself <laughs> is what it is. kind of like thrown back into, into the working world. And obviously, like, I knew what was going on and very quick I had a very my boss was amazing she gave me a very gentle ease back into work we had a we had a four-day week policy for the first 12 weeks so it was kind of like a nice ease back in but I think about three weeks three four weeks after I went back my best my boss said to me look and you know this is going on like I, my access to her emails was cut so I knew something was going on and it happened with all assistants. I knew something was going on. And then I got asked if I, the process, the whole kind of process of what was going on with obviously with losing our business, like it was just devastating. And I wasn't obviously privy to what was going on in the US and the discussions that were going on. Um, but then I got asked to transfer to the HR team because there were redundancies coming and everything and my immediate reaction was oh my goodness I'm not going to be made redundant am I I've literally just come back from maternity leave like I'm a solo parent like I can't I can't lose my job and I'm asking you to work on the project I wouldn't be asking that if you're going to lose your job kind of thing but yeah it was I think the strength of Airbnb was the fact that it was so collaborative and I was pulled in to work on the HR project and it was like everyone was just you could feel everyone was trying to do their best and make out of this horrible situation the best that they could it was devastating you'd obviously been there for what six years at that point and having to being on calls where you're making people redundant say you are going to lose your job and I remember one of the calls with me the manager and the person we were all in floods of tears it was so emotional it was such an an uneasy and a time for everyone no one knew what was going to happen it was I don't it was such an odd situation and everyone was like very scared genuinely scared and then on top of that you're losing your job and you don't know if you're going to get another one. You don't know how long this thing is going to last. But I've never, I, I remember being like <laughs> working on documents until one one thirty in the morning. and But my colleagues were there as well. And they were like messaging me. Like there was such a solidarity and everyone pulled together. And that could only have happened because of the culture within the company. If it had been any other culture, I think it would have been a complete disaster. But it was done things were done in such a humane and very generous way that although people were obviously devastated losing their job I've I since know that quite a few people have gone back and they've been rehired and that's lovely because they left with such good feelings about towards the company but it was so much work honestly I've no that was it was like going back to the first two years and it was just so intense and yeah it was but it was insane but as I say the, the culture the collaboration making the right decisions for our people that was what made it a success in the end even though it's a horrible thing to do it went really well because of all that yeah it's a story that has played out across so many organizations at that point in time so I think a lot of assistants will be able to relate with you but if the culture's not there in the first place then that whole experience would have been as you said would have played out very differently and last question before 
before we wrap up and I like to finish on a sort of a love bombing note so to speak so just if there are any recommendations for any events or books or publications or websites or training programs or anything like that you can recommend for our listeners yeah so it's it's really funny Nikki because this is something I've only recently I think when I back when I started what 17 years ago being an assistant there was nothing I didn't even I just learned on the job I didn't there was nowhere to go there were no templates there was just nothing so I feel like gosh look at all these resources that these assistants have now and maybe I should some of too what can I learn but I think one of the things so just for like London-based people there's a Facebook group called the London EA Network and that's a great one for like recommendations or asking quick questions if you don't have if you don't have a network within your company or if you're in like in a standalone role like I used to be that's a great one Paul Pennant on LinkedIn he's a trainer an assistant trainer and he like specializes in like Microsoft trainings and he's always like posting tips and things like that and sometimes he does free events so I definitely follow, give him a follow. And then Lucy Brazier's executive support magazine, I think it's called. That's another good one to follow. But I, I mean, I have pinched, well, not pinched, but they're free. I have pinched quite a few things off your, off your website recently and shared them. And shared pinch, them. pinch away. <laughs> With the assistance at work, because there's some great tips on there. And the thing is, it's things that you probably know and do without realizing it a lot of the time but there's some really helpful things like stuff things that I never even knew you could do I was like oh that's a good one and I think sometimes when you've been doing this job quite a while you get you can get a little bit complacent and think oh I know how I know how to do things and but it's always good to refresh I think and read things and try try new things sometimes we can become a bit resistant to change but try new things because often they work (laughs) so anything to make your life easier that's what I'm for Oh, Fiona, I know that there is a whole load of stuff that I haven't got around to asking you, but I just feel like the stories that you've shared with us today and the experiences that you've had over your career have been so valuable and so interesting to listen to. So I don't feel bad about not asking you some of the questions, (laughs) but thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. I know that so many of our listeners will take so much advice away and implement it into their day job. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Nikki. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the EA Campus podcast. We would love for you to take a minute to subscribe to the EA Campus podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you could give us a review, we would so appreciate that too. If you want to check out the show notes, you can do that by going over to the eacampus.com forward slash podcast and take a look at everything we discussed. You can also find all the links to the resources, articles, and tech that we mentioned during the show. If you want to join the conversation inside the EA Campus community, you will also find all of the information on the EA Campus website. The community continues to grow and we have an amazing group of assistants sharing their careers. We have ongoing events and training for our members and we would love to see ambitious and career-driven assistants join us. Thanks for your time and I hope you tune in again to the next episode of the EA Campus podcast.